Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I am your host, Stephen Pinecker, and I'm very uh, excited about the guests that I have today. Um, I'm a big fan of books, obviously, as you all know, and one of the people that I was introduced to a long time ago was by a gentleman by the name of Kurt Bench, who is uh, one of the people talked about in this book, Salamander. So this would probably be the first time I would have heard of Kurt Bench and read this book many, many years ago. And uh, really uh, found him to be an interesting gentleman. And then, of course, we all know Murder Among the Mormons. And uh, so I have somebody here who is the son of the founder of Benchmark Books, uh, Chris Bench. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you. Appreciate you letting me be here today. So uh, basically, uh, last June, I was at the Mormon History Association. Yeah. And I'm talking to Shannon Flynn. And Sean, I'm having a nice conversation. And, and right next door was the booth. So you guys have a booth every year at the MHA. And uh, your father came to me and was very kind, was a gentleman, um, was very interested in hearing my story, which I thought was really cool. Uh, so I had this wonderful opportunity to talk to Shannon Flynn and Kurt Bench, both newly minted famous people because they're just on <laughs> Murder Among the Mormons. Mm -hmm. And it was a real honor and privilege to be able to talk to both of them because within a few months, both of them will have passed. Yeah. So one regret is I didn't have him on my program, but I'm honored that I at least got to have a conversation with him. And like I said, your father, he's a gentle man and a decent, was a decent man. And uh, I wanted to honor him by having you come on <clears throat> to talk about your father's legacy and the bookstore. But before we go there, I just want you to tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Give us your background, uh, what life was like growing up in your uh, family's household perhaps where, where you serve your mission and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Before I jump into that, I just want to touch base on what you said right there about meeting my dad and Shannon and give what I think is a true like sense of who they were as they, my dad especially was open and loving to everybody really that he came in contact with, especially if it was at his bookstore because he figured they wanted something in a book or some you know, article or whatever it was, and he was more than happy to provide that information and talk to someone about their ideas. And really, this store has become a gathering place in many ways for people. And maybe we'll get into that later. But that's really what that's one of the things that I love about this store, and this business and growing up in my family is that we're open to a lot of different ideas and philosophies and you know just hearing from people because everybody's a little different even if you're all in the same organization or religion or whatever it is and so anyway that was a good testament of him and and his, his values and all so yeah um okay so growing up i uh was born and raised here in the salt lake area um i'm the oldest of four children i have um two sisters that are twins that are three and a half years younger and then a brother's 10 years younger than I. And he actually worked uh, here at the bookstore for a number of years. In fact, everyone in the Bench family, as you might imagine, worked at Benchmark Books at one time or another. Um, that was kind of the way my dad helped put us through college is he would give us jobs and pay us for our time so that we didn't have to you know, pay ourselves. And, and he helped us out there. So my sisters both did things, my um, my brother for many years, and and books were always a big part of our life. Um, 
I remember growing up having um, constant access to books and reading. And, you know, my parents would both read to me. My, I remember my grandparents reading to me and telling stories. That was one thing that my dad had a knack for. Um, he had grown up in, in an area outside of Los Angeles. And so he had a whole different perspective and like life experience than we did for growing up in Salt Lake City. And he had a habit of every night telling us a story that came from his life or his experience or his brothers or whatever it was. And it was just a, it was a fun, fascinating thing to have him tell us about things that had happened in his life that were so different and stark contrast to ours growing up in sort of the Salt Lake City bubble. So um, that was always fun in addition to the books. And then I remember early on, like, there's a set of books called the Landmark series that um, I remember was my one of my biggest introductions into like historical figures. And I remember that at like 10, 11, 12, right in there. And it was like a, basically like a condensed children's version of events of all sorts of topics in US history. And there's even one on the Mormons about the settling of the West. And um, that was a, a fun and very helpful introduction to so many topics that, that would help me throughout my life ahead. So anyway, um, let's see, growing up, we were kind of your typical Mormon family, I think, um, that, you know, we would all go to church with just a few blocks away. And we, um, most people in the neighborhood were part of our congregation and we knew them well. and interacted with them and that was a big part of life. Um, I had a wonderful experience growing up in uh, scouting. That was a huge part of my life uh, that the church sort of was a big part of because that's how they set up the, the troop in my area was based on our ward. But um, that provided me with a ton of life experiences that uh, I wouldn't have otherwise because my, my dad was not a camper. My family was not really into camping or going out in the mountains too much and I got to do a lot of that kind of stuff and so I feel like I learned some lessons about life on how to survive sort of and how to get by without everything I needed maybe and and um, it was really focused on camaraderie and um, helping each other out and being friends with those around us and uh, provided me with you know really some really great life lessons. Um, well, sounds like you had a wonderful, idyllic uh, childhood. Sounds like you've had a wonderful father. It just sounds like, wow, this is the kind yeah. of just people would love to have the childhood you had. Yeah, when I you're around books. Too. I mean, I was very lucky. Absolutely. I mean, we just, um, you know, I don't, I probably did not know most of the time how much my parents did for us and like how hard my dad worked. Uh, so he worked for Desert Book back then. Um, in fact, he took a job with them not long after he graduated from college and just sort of worked his way up with them, eventually became a manager at several of their stores, and then later started um, their rare book department, and, and that's sort of how Benchmark Books came about later. But back, anyway, so he, he did a lot of that kind of stuff and was kind of always there to do things with us. and. And didn't, you know, I really wasn't aware growing up as a 
all the adult stuff that I'm sure they were doing all the time. So um, I graduated from high school and I actually, I went away to school for a year. I went to Utah State, had an amazing experience up there. Um, I remember one of my favorite memories from my, my freshman year of college prior to leaving on a mission was I took an institute class from um, the former institute director, Ken Godfrey. I don't know if that's a name that you've run across, but he's written a number of books on both um, local communities in Cache Valley, but also uh, he wrote in large part one of a uh, widely used manual for the church about the history of the church. And his class was difficult questions from Latter-day Saint history. Hmm. And it was mostly attended by, I would say like 90% of those were community members that came to be a part of it, adults. And there was a few of us students that took it, but it was like, this was an awesome thing because I was already learning about this kind of stuff from my family and those that I associated with here at the bookstore, employees and others, and my dad. And then I took this class, which he was like not pulling any punches. He was hitting a lot of the hard topics, the questions that so many Mormons have had in their life. And he would provide, you know, a pretty good answer. Um, at least I felt like it was in my, you know, 18 years. And that was a really good preparation for me. So um, I honestly wasn't quite sure I wanted to go on a mission. I didn't know, you know, it was just one of those moments of like, am I going to do this? Is this something I really want to do? Because college life was a lot of fun. I made some great friends, but almost all of them were going on missions. And so I think that helped solidify my um, choice. Excuse me, I'm going to take a... Yeah, no problem. This is really interesting. I'm, I'm glad you're sharing water. this. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I was younger than most, like um, I don't know if you've talked to too many younger folks about their experiences, but generally in the Mormon experience, you know, you become a, an elder, you're ordained an elder and you, to go on a mission or whatever, when you turn 19, when you go, well, I'm sorry, that's how it used to be, right? Mm -hmm. Because missionaries, missions didn't start until they're 19. We know in recent years that they've changed that and gone back, but I remember being sort of overwhelmed and a little unsure of myself because at 17 when I graduated high school I was made an elder to go away to college and sort of felt like I was growing up way too fast right and that was not something I mean it didn't really change my life much because I was in a, a singles ward um, which just all singles no married people and other students and so there was really no like pressure there but it was I just felt like this is so weird in fact I remember um the state conference that they had which is um a meeting where they call together all the congregations within a geographic area for a, a meeting and they have a very often a, a presiding sort of um individual come in to speak anyway they called together all the what they called the prospective elders all the young men that they were going to be ordaining elders and they announced that during this conference and um, we were all there in the room and I said to the state president, the leader, I said, now I just want you to know and make sure because all my uh, peers here are older than I am, I'm still 17. Is that okay to still make this change for me? You know, and he kind of scratched his head and 
was he didn't remember having had that happen for a long time and they conferred with their handbook and everything and decided it was okay but um nowadays i'm sure that's normal because they're sending kids out at 18 but anyway that was kind of a fun thing and so i go to college and then decide i'm going to go on a mission so i got called to serve in the uh portugal lisbon south mission um was what it was called at the time and um so i went into the mtc in november of 1995 and um, it was right let's see yeah right beginning of november so i was there for some you know what was the sort of hard but also really cool experience of of celebrating both thanksgiving and christmas away from family and friends and being in this missionary experience um one thing that was really cool is my grandfather uh, my dad's dad was actually what they call he was in what's called the branch presidency there which is uh, they would call individuals from the surrounding local congregations to come in and be sort of ecclesiastical leaders for these missionaries in while they were preparing to go on missions and so they would meet every sunday in these congregations anyway my grandfather was one of those leaders and so i got to see him every weekend and he could hand deliver me you know treats and and goodies and letters and things from my parents and everything else and so that was a lot of fun and, and it probably helped me to prepare uh to leave but i had a really great group of individuals uh that were in my what's called a district the group of missionaries we were all going to be going to the same place and they were a great group of guys and i had a really great experience there in the mtc with them and then uh, when it was time to leave, I still, there was still visa problems getting to Portugal. So I actually spent a month of time in um, state of Washington in the Seattle mission. And I was in the town of, um, oh brother, I'm going to forget all of a sudden. Anyway, I had a great experience there for one month before going to Portugal. And that was talk about a culture shock, like, mm just can't quite prepare you even all the studying and learning you can have um i remember my they took me i arrived in the country and i think we spent one night in the mission home in like this really nice place you know and you're thinking wow if this is how the mission is then this will be great but i got driven to my first area and um there was a beautiful community called costa caparica and it's on the coast and so there was I mean, it was a beautiful place to be, but this, the town, the, the home that we lived in was, uh, there were members that lived upstairs and we lived on the main floor. And um, I remember they drove us down the street and the pavement ended and it was just dirt. And, uh, you know, there was just kids running through the streets and there's, it's just, it looked very third world to me. And it was just such a shock, um, even though we came to a home that had you know that was stone and had beautiful craftsmanship in a lot of ways but it was in a lower income part of the world and um so it was quite an adjustment for me but overall i had a great mission experience i was i feel really lucky that i had um trainers that were really 
not only knowledgeable, but also very like, um, what I say, cool, I would say this, the, the guy had been out for a long time and he was like, okay, you know, you don't have to worry too much about so many of these things. Like if you want to enjoy your mission, don't take it too seriously. Hmm. I don't know if that's good or bad advice, but for me, it was good and it worked out to my advantage. And I feel like I had an amazing mission experience. I don't know how much you want to get into that, but the last six months of my mission, I spent about uh, the first year in a couple of areas, and then I was transferred to the mission office, which enabled me to spend a lot of time with the mission president. And then I got to travel the whole mission uh, with him and see different parts of the country and different missionaries and, and had a great experience. And then the last six months, I was transferred to this other part of our mission, which is called Cabo Verde, which is an island chain off the coast of Africa. So thousands of miles away, it was a former Portuguese colony. And so I went from, you know, Europe, Europe, like a very um, distinctive European culture to West Africa, which was, I mean, as different as night and day, it was just uh, totally third world very um behind the times you know technology was somewhat available in portugal but in cape bear there was basically nothing um you had television but you know there was no internet no anything like that and and so it was a very great experience for me the people were extremely kind and humble and loved americans and so you know i had this great experience i ended up my last area there for five months i lived on the side of a volcano this island is based on a volcano and the road that go would go around it and there were various settlements and i lived in a village with my companion and i were the only white people in the whole town and it was an hour drive to the main city so we were pretty isolated and and it was beautiful beautiful people had a, an amazing experience and hey, um, just I'm curious, how tall are you? I am six foot nine. Yes. So it's so uh, I, I, I run into all these giants. I'm usually the tallest guy in the room, and I'm in Rod Meldrum and John DeLynn and, and you and everybody. But um, I would imagine that you're six foot nine white guy. Yeah. Uh, I imagine you made quite an impression on people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was still growing on my mission back then a little bit, but absolutely. I remember my, that first area that I mentioned, my trainer, he was right around six foot and so yeah i mean we would knock on someone's door and i'm sure that that was the last thing they wanted to open the door were these two great big white guys right but, <laughs> um but yeah so it definitely i definitely attracted attention um because of my height for sure i have to ask did you play basketball in high school you know i did but i was never very good i hadn't ended up having leg surgery my sophomore year and that kind of took me out so i was mostly a manager for the basketball team which was a fun experience it really was but i yeah i unfortunately was never a player of any magnitude cool cool well this is great i mean you know i'm, I'm glad you're detailing um your experiences and and everything and i, I just want, i want you to talk maybe a little bit about because I, I do want to talk about your dad and his legacy in the bookstore but i want to kind of also uh, just find out a little bit more about um you know, okay, so you served your mission and then did you go back to school? Yeah. 
Yeah, I went back to Utah State again. Uh, I had established, like I mentioned, a really great group of friends my freshman year, and we had all kind of kept in touch. And so because I was the young one, I was still on my mission when school started. So most of my friends were already on their first term back from their missions. They all ended up living together, most of them. And so I was the lone one. I came a, sem or a quarter, back then it was the quarter system. I came like a quarter later than everybody and they were all established. So I got a, a room in a nearby apartment, but living with total strangers, which wasn't a big deal because I'd been a missionary, like, you know, meeting new people all the time was no big deal. It ended up being a really great experience overall, but yeah, I was really tight with this group of friends. And so we, did a lot together in fact i got home for my mission in like uh, i think it was late november and um so my friends were already you know all up there at school and i remember they invited me up to come be with them in a social atmosphere and so i was in like very quickly put back into the social scene and and the fun times and i had this tightness group of friends and yeah so I went back to Utah State I had a great experience up there I'm a big Utah State Aggie fan we had incredible experience uh, as students in um, viewing the athletic programs up there that was a really bonding experience for me I had a great professor that I don't know if you've ever run across or talked to Ross Peterson uh, he was a former editor of Dialogue and has written a number of books but he I had known him prior to going up there and he's really what recruited me to the campus, um, both the beauty of the place and then he said there were some job opportunities there and as a student and he was a history professor which I was in love with so that got me there as a freshman then my friends got me there basically after that and, and I stayed. Um, let's see I got back in 97 started school in 98 and was there for two more years essentially to finish and I you know for many many years after I always was like I wish I could have stayed in Logan and, and at Utah State and but uh, the bookstore and my family were here and so um, it was a it was a very the mission experience coupled with my college days was a were definitely like formative experiences in my life and mm -hmm. I made lifelong friends in both those places and those experiences really helped me to have a better a broader sense of the world and um, I knew that I could make friends and that I could have a good experience basically no matter where I was and um, at the time you know I was I had started studying history but then as time went on, I started looking at the bookstore and thinking that's really a place I would feel comfortable. I had worked there part time um, going back into my teens. And then every summer when I was out of, or out of school, starting in high school, I would work the full summer at the bookstore and had really enjoyed the atmosphere, the people, everything else. And so I started viewing that as really the place I could go. My dad was offered me a job here and and so I stopped my study in history officially and um, started studying business. And so I ended up graduating from Utah State in marketing 
um, with the, I think I had a Portuguese minor. That was pretty easy. And, and uh, so I came home to work in the bookstore in uh, the, at the very end of 2000. Wow. And so, been wow. so, so basically this has been your lifelong thing. So, I mean, yeah. at the book. I, okay, that's great. I, <clears throat> I'm glad we got to that point. So you, you start working at the bookstore around the year 2000. So why don't we go back in time a little bit <clears throat> and let's talk about your father um, what led what led up to him? Because you said he had involved in rare books for uh, Deseret. Now, from my understanding, as I believe Ann Wilde told me, that he basically, because of the whole Mark Hoffman thing, the church decided they kind of wanted to get out of the rare book stuff or the collectible stuff. And I mean, I could be misremembering it, but that then that opened the door for your father to open up his bookstore. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Sure. So yeah, I apologize. I don't have the years exactly down, but. Um... So yeah, he he starts a, the rare book department. I guess is he got permission to start selling out of print rare books, uh, which was a whole new thing for Desert Book. They hadn't done this for many many years. Uh, one thing that my dad loved to collect were old catalogs issued by publishers and bookstores and things like that. And just a few months before he passed away, he actually obtained a Desert Book catalog from the 1930s, and he found within that catalog an ad that basically said that they would search for out-of-print and rare books for people, like things they had sold out of, they would be happy to search for things. So he was, he was thrilled to find that because that was something he sort of restarted, you know, 60, well, 50 years later where no one in the in the company had an institutional memory that they had ever done that before but it was kind of fun for him to see that mm. that is something that somebody did at one time in, in the past mm. so yeah he starts the rare book department and and um as part of that in the late you know, mid 80s he encountered mark hoffman he actually if, uh, if you read salamander anybody that reads salamander you'll know that he was actually quite uh, close with Mark Hoffman. They were good friends and associates. They did a lot of business together. And he was one of Mark's defenders at the time of the third explosion and actually called to warn him. There was, I'm sorry, after the second bombing and said, hey, be really careful. There's, you know, somebody out there that's killing people in our business and, and was totally, you know, had no idea that he was involved uh, much like everybody basically at the time. So that all happens. Uh, and actually the Desert Book uh, suffered minimal losses or losses that they were okay with. And so they actually were okay after Mark Hoffman's arrest and, and they were continuing with the rare book department at that point. But shortly after that, my father discovered that um, there was a whole lot of money missing from his department. And he had to do some major searching and turned out that his assistant manager had been embezzling money and product out of his department that he, you know, because he had left this guy with full, um, like, check signing capabilities and he could buy books and everything else. And, and unfortunately, he had been dishonest in that. And so uh, when they discovered that it was almost a quarter of a million dollars worth of money and product that he'd taken from the department. That's when Desert Book decided that, you know, we're going to get out of this world of 
where everything's not a set price and a set number and numbers that we can calculate and keep track of with our accountants rather than one thing that's you know worth a hundred books or whatever it is mm. and so that's when so that's in 1987 um where they um fire that individual he's actually prosecuted but only given a fine and and parole essentially um and so my dad decides that he'd like to continue with this type of business because it's something he really excelled at and and had met a lot of people found some amazing products over the years um he tells a story of selling one of the first copies of the book of commandments that was in private hands and you know he talks about that happening back in the 80s and i think if i remember right he ends up buying it for sixteen thousand dollars talking like 1984 or something like that which was like way more money than they'd ever spent on one single item but he found a buyer for it that was willing to pay twenty one thousand. And then later in his career, much, much later, he helped to sell that same copy of the Book of Commandments. And at that time, it sold for like $600,000. So within like, you know, a 25-year period, it had gone up an incredible amount. And nowadays, they're a million or more. So mm. anyway. Um, so anyway. I just, so, I just have a quick question for you. Yeah, so please. your father was good friends with, with Mark Hoffman. Uh, you would have been a young man. Did, do you have any memory of meeting Mark Hoffman? You know, I have a memory of sitting in his driveway when my dad went up to the door to talk to him about something. Um, outside of that, I don't remember meeting him. We probably did, but I do remember distinctly. He lived in a neighborhood not far from where my parents were. And, and so I remember my dad driving. My guess is to try and get a hold of him because he was notoriously hard to get a hold of and knocking on the door and i remember seeing him come to the door so seeing his face there but that's that's the only memory i have um having met mark hoffman wow that's really interesting. i mean i don't know that wasn't really a meeting it was me right. seeing him but yeah that's the memory but yeah i was i was only 10 or so at the time yeah. wow that's really cool so your father you said started the bookstore in 1987 yeah, so it's the end of 87. He Desert Book was really helpful and let him actually buy um, a lot of the stock and also take on the um, customer database that he had established and made, you know, contacts with and had gotten close with. And so um, he spent a couple of months, the end of 87, officially setting up the business. But he says, really, the doors open for regular business um, January of 88. And back then we were um, in another office building uh, here in Salt Lake. We were actually on the third floor of this building and on the, in the basement was the Sunstone organization, Sunstone Magazine. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of fun back then to have um, association with a lot of people at Sunstone that were in that same building. We'd get together often and, and, um, and then my, the year I graduated from high school we found our current location and we moved here so that was 94 so we've been here now for about 30 no wait that's sorry let's see almost, my math almost uh, uh, almost 30 
Yeah. Almost 30 years. Yeah, we've been here in this location. Also an office building, which a lot of people find unusual. My dad would always say, you know, if you go to large cities, most bookstores happen to be in office buildings or in buildings, not your traditional storefront. But for us, it's just been um, the place we needed to be to give us the right price with also enough space. And, you know, we've made it work. I, um, not opposed to the idea of having a different location at you know, some point in time with the storefront and everything else, but um, this is just kind of where we've been for all these years. And where where is where are you guys located? What's the address? The address is thirty two sixty nine South Main Street, Salt Lake okay. City. So it's you know people that come from out of town, they, you know, they say, "Well, I'm here by Temple Square." You know, where are you at? And we're essentially thirty three blocks south of Temple Square, which is about five or six miles. So. Okay. Wow. Um, so, uh, you, so you, I mean, this is really great. I'm glad we're talking about this because I think it's important that we kind of get your father's story documented, but also tell your story as well. Um, so your father, oh, and actually I do, actually, I just want to ask you a quick question. So if I were to um, walk into your bookstore, what, 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 what does it look like? So I'm walking in and, and just maybe explain to me the layout of the bookstore. Sure. As it is now. Um, yeah, so we're on the second floor of our building. Um, there's, you come right up the stairs, if you come up the front stairs and walk into our store, straight ahead is a counter uh, where you'll most often find myself or and my employee, Brian Buchanan, um, who's probably fairly well known to people in, uh, these days. Anyway, um, let's see, to the right side as you walk in are, are new books. So we carry a, a variety of new in-print books. That's right up front on the right. And um, and then if you go to the left, there are immediately some glass cases that hold some, some more valuable rare things. And then there's some tables that are, are uh, sale tables. There are so new books at sale prices. And then around the, the bulk of the room, our shelves all go all the way around, and those are our used and out of print books. Um, they're arranged by author. And then in the middle, we have some more A-frames with additional um, sale items, as well as like sets, periodicals. Uh, we have a whole section of Mormon sentimentalism, publications by different groups and uh, individuals there. That's become a big part of our business. Um, we have a section of three or four bookcases on Utah and Western history. Uh, we've got five or six bookcases of biographies and family histories. Um, and then just a lot of general used books. So yeah, we're, we're definitely an open shop with, you know, a wide range of things. A lot of things that are $10 and under to thousands of dollars for the really rare stuff so we try and cater to a, a wide audience but we're definitely a, a destination like you're not just going to stumble in off the street and stay very long we do get some people that see our sign in the neighborhood and come by and then they realize quickly we're a first of all we're a mormon bookstore and then we sell using out of print books and very often that you know people are just looking for something else so we find that we're a destination and and people do come to us or call us if they can't find something especially. Uh, but we've also developed a, a you know a really good customer base that are interested in 
the new books that are hitting the Mormon book world and that are somewhat scholarly that come from university presses or private publishers. Uh, we don't we don't try and be desert book, for example. We don't have much in the way of um, books by general authorities that are kind of just life books or we carry basically no new fiction. Um, it's it's basically history, biography, doctrinal or scriptural reference type of stuff with you know a few other things thrown in, but that's really our specialty. And just to, to get a general, what is the square footage of the bookstore, roughly? I think we have about 3,000 square feet in all. Okay. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, I haven't been there yet, so I'm looking forward to, I'm, I'm get, I have two trips planned for Utah this summer, so I plan on getting out there for at least one of them. And I'm looking forward to it. Perhaps we could film a segment there or something. You can That'd give a fun. tour. Yeah, yeah, we'd love to have you. That'd be fun. That'd be great. So um, maybe you could talk about, like you had mentioned, um, I want to talk a little bit more about the bookstore, and then I want to talk about your father. Um, tell me about some books that you have that might be of interest um, to my uh, viewers, just maybe some unique and interesting books that, that are in your collection. Sure. Well, so with my dad in mind, I, I did grab a couple of things. So overall, Benchmark Books has always been a retail bookstore, but there's been a couple of instances where things sort of came together and became pet projects for us that we actually turned into a publisher for. And so I wanted to share a couple of those. The first one is, um, let's see if we can, this is the way it comes. This is the standard edition of what's called the first Mormon book. Okay. And back in, uh, well, in yeah, the year 2000, essentially, um, my father had obtained an incomplete copy of a first edition book of Mormon. It was missing quite a few pages. And so he had there there there's a concept out there in um or uh, well in in the book world for what's called a leaf book and there's it's, it's been done before with like uh famous editions of the bible uh that would take single pages of an original and showcase them in some way so the first one, so anyway, uh, he decided he wanted to do this with the Book of Mormon. It had never been done before. Uh, didn't know of any Mormon leaf book that had been done, period. But this specifically about the Book of Mormon, which is kind of the, you know, the thing that everybody seems to know a little bit about. They've heard about a, some of the high prices that have been brought by first edition Book of Mormons. And, and it's just always the kind of the thing that, people ask when they come into the store, oh, well, do you have a first edition of Mormon? They're very hard to find. Back then, they were a little easier and lower priced, but he thought, what a great way to make it a, like a page from a first edition book Mormon available to a wide audience. But for those that can't afford, you know, back then, prices were like, um, you know, you could probably get a decent first edition for Fifty or sixty thousand dollars, twenty some years ago, but that obviously that's out of reach for most people. So anyway, we came up with this idea of the first Mormon book. I won't go into all the details, but it's it's very detail oriented in the way that it was created. Special cloth, the paper is handmade. It was printed on a press um, with these handmade paper and a and a 
specific press. It's the same kind of press that Graman used when he created the first edition Book Mormon. So that's what was kind of fun is that it was this letter press edition. I'll show you. There's a picture of the press. Okay. Uh, to indicate this is how it was actually created. So there's a brief history here uh, that Peter Crawley, I don't know if you've run across him, but he's an expert in old and rare, well, just in, in early Mormonism and books published. And he writes a, uh, a little history about the book, but then the thing that's most interesting is we have a actual leaf of a first edition book Mormon that's set in the book. Oh, that is really cool. So you can see and read and touch a single page and that it's cut out on both sides. So you can oh, great. I love it. And anyway, so how much do how much do you guys, how many of those do you guys have yet and how much do they cost? Yeah, so at the time, this was a, uh, this is called the standard edition. Um, there was about, uh, well, there were just less than 300 total that were done. We did them in three different states. The highest, nicest version was called the Premier Edition. There were only 15 copies of those. Then there was a deluxe, and then this is the standard. Uh, these sell currently for, um, I think we're asking $950 for a copy of this. Uh, if you, you know, if you price a nice first edition of Book Mormon at, at over 100,000, some of them are uh, like 125,000, as much as that. This is a, you know, an amazing way to own a piece of the first edition. So That's we do great. still have a few of those. And I do have a couple of the deluxe edition too, which basically has a nicer binding. It's a leather binding and it comes in a box rather than a slip case like this. Wow. So that was a big project for Benchmark Books. That was something my dad was really into. And then the, the thing that he did uh, the year before he passed was Signature Books or Smith Pettit Foundation had hired Dan Vogel to do a new trend, a new transcription of the Wilford Woodruff journals, uh, which is a very historical um, set of journals in Mormon history. It really chronicles uh, the whole Mormon experience through the 1890s, and there was no, no other resource out there that gave as much detail. Anyway, um, it hadn't been available for many, many years, and the used book market was selling sets for as high as five thousand dollars, four to five thousand, and you can still find some for sale at that price. So anyway, Dan was hired and to create this new transcription, but uh, they were not going to print the book; it was just going to be electronic. And so we obtained permission, and my this was really my dad's big project, as he published the Wilford Woodruff Journals in a beautiful seven volume set in this red cloth. Um, it's typeset really nicely, so it's easy to read. I don't know if you can see this yeah. very well, but easy to read, um, referenced really well. It's referenced by date along the top so that if you wanted to study just like a certain period of time, you could easily find when that was covered. And then we actually created, we added additional material from the day books that weren't in the original well, version published in the 1980s. And then Brian Buchanan, the, I mentioned before, our longtime employee actually wrote a new index or created a new index uh, that has not previously been available, which is greatly expanded from the original. So those sets 
um, came out uh, officially the very beginning of 2021, and that's been a big deal. We do still have sets of those available. They're $895 for the set. Anybody's interested in that kind of thing. Now, when you say your father publishes these books, uh, what does that mean? Does he have the equipment to do it, or does he contract it out, or how does that work um, with that? Yeah, we don't actually have the equipment. We just contract with others, but it's um, we, it, so it was a partnership with the Smith Foundation and Benchmark Books as the official publishers. And um, so we maintained the inventory and, and went through the whole process of having them created essentially. So Benchmark Books is more than just a bookstore. It's actually a publisher. In, in a few select cases, yep. We've done a couple of things. Um, another individual from our past that has also passed away last year was Will Bagley. And uh, his famous book, Blood of the Prophets, um, the uh, Mountain Mountains Massacre, we actually um, published a limited edition of that, a leather-bound edition. That, so that was another project that we took on um, hmm. that we did in, in a limited edition. I do still have a few of those, but um, that's the kind of thing we've done in the past. Very few things, but they tend to be fairly substantial and, and fun and different. So. Uh, I think you guys need to get in touch with Signature Books and ask them if you guys could pu uh, publish a Dan Vogel's uh, Making of a Profit book because it's not <laughs> it's not in print. And I think it's important that that I mean all they have is this an electronic version. I even asked them, when are you guys going to come up with a paperback? And they're like, ah, you know, I think. I mean, what's interesting with that is that you know when that book first came out, it did fairly well, but then it kind of sat and didn't really do anything for a long long time until it eventually goes out of print and even on the secondhand market it really didn't do much until he was interviewed and then you know with his mormon stories interview that things went crazy so yeah i don't know how what decisions they make as far as sales and things go to justify publishing something again but um yeah i don't know yeah no, that'll be an interesting thing to look at so um well, so one of the things when I interviewed Ann Wild, who Ann Wild was the uh, uh, married to Ogden Kraut, who's I call him the premier fundamentalist, Mormon fundamentalist thinker, theologian, if you will, of the 20th century. He really is the patriarch of modern Mormon fundamentalism in many ways. And she helped edit about 65 of his books, but she also worked at the bookstore. And she mentioned in the interview specifically, I had the honor to have two great men in my life, Ogden Kraut and Kurt Bench. Why don't we talk about that? Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Anne has been an incredible piece of Benchmark Books history and was there. She actually was hired by my dad at the end of his Desert Book period to get everything kind of in place so they could open Benchmark Books. And, and he ended up just keeping her on ever since. And she's been able to bring her background from having done all the editing and printing she could provide a lot of help in our bookstore and understanding that process and what goes into the creation of books and all those things but then she had this incredible network of people that she knew from those days uh, because they would sell ogden's books to desert book and every other bookstore around and and then she just knew so many people that over the years that had wanted to get together and talk to Ogden and she about things and um, yeah she was an incredible reference and resource that we 
I'm sure undervalued for many years, but yeah, she was with Benchmark Books uh, until she retired six years ago at the age of 80. I don't know if she told you that, but I sure hope I'm in as good a shape as she is at 80 to be working and enjoying my life. And um, yeah, she was incredible. I have really fun ex memories of growing up having like a staff party at her home. Um, I have, I can still remember as a teenager when she and Ogden moved from one home to another, we helped, you know, package and move everything. And um, yeah, he was Ogden. It was fun to just, Ogden would just stop by sometimes to chat and um, just really great experiences with them for sure. So it's so cool because not only um, did your father meet a lot of people, but because of in the, your proximity to your father, you got to uh, rub shoulders some, with some very interesting folk. Yeah. And I think that's what I like about your father is that he, he, uh, he was a very open man, open-minded and was open to different ideas and different people. And, and so really your, your bookstore became kind of a melting pot of Mormonism um, and an intersection of different ideas. Maybe talk about your father, what made him tick, why he was so inquisitive about other people and their beliefs and open and, and just maybe talk about the legacy of your father. Okay, sure. Yeah, we absolutely have felt like we became a melting pot. And um, my dad was, um, had had a lot of experiences in his life. He sort of passed that on to me and that it was important that we treated everybody um, with an open mind. And that helped us to be better people. And, and we were, we don't always agree with what people have to say, but it's interesting to listen to and certainly broaden our perspective and our knowledge base um, because we would have access to a lot of different ideas and books and pamphlets and everything else. And, and yeah, my dad just, he was really good at talking with people and making friends with them. And, you know, I sort of feel underqualified in a lot of ways because my dad was really there like in the trenches, like he would go to the Mormon History Association and he would present and he would chair sessions and he would go to Sunstone and he would be an active participant in a lot of these topics and discussions that sort of helped to shape Mormon studies for what they are today. And I'm just, I'm here at the bookstore, I'm working, but I'm, I'm not in the trenches so much like he was, but he really had a passion for these things and would spend a lot of time in creating papers and presentations that he gave in various places. Um, he authored the introduction to a couple of books that Signature published um, and wrote um, the introduction to that one leaf book that I showed you. Um, so he definitely was very accomplished that way, but, um, and he just had a knack for making friends. I mean, he, he was really good friends with a number of authors over the years, in fact, uh, you asked about Easter earlier, and part of Easter, we held an Easter egg hunt in my parents' house, and my mother, um, rather than trying to negotiate the backyard, decided to use my dad's library as the place to hide the uh, toys and goodies for the young kids that came and work. I'm sure my dad would probably be rolling over in his grave a little bit, but it was really fun to be down there in the middle of his library and have the kids you know, pull out little things here and there. But as I was there, I started to look through the books like I always do. 
And it was just a touching and fascinating experience to read all the books that are inscribed to him by these various authors. And just to see that he was a friend and a supporter to a lot of people that have now passed on, some that are still around. Uh, and he was a major player. And because of his uh, kindness and support, people, you know, latched onto him as a friend and, and an ally, basically, in, in a lot of ways. Um, He's told a lot of stories about different authors and their struggles that they had in getting their books published and the uh, pushback that they had from various people and organizations. And he was right there to promote scholarship and um, dialogue and um, to try not to be too judgmental one way or the other. And I think we've continued that on here in the store. Um, yeah, when we, have, we get people from all across the spectrum of Mormonism, outside Mormonism, um, that come in interested in finding something in a book or, or a conversation that we can have. And that my dad certainly set the mold there, and um, we've tried to continue that. That's great. Uh, so I, because this is the book, re book show, tell me about your father's library. What does it look like? How big is it? Oh, man. So I'm sitting in his old office right now and um i wish i could show you but there are one two three four five six six bookcases that are full of books right now that um is part of a major collection that he had created during his career of, of mormon books in dust jackets so the dust jacket is the paper cover on a book mm -hmm. and you know in in most cases they're not a big deal it's just pretty basic but over the years he discovered that this was a treasure trove of information about publishing about books it gives prices it gives availability of certain books um, there's a ton of information found on the dust jackets that you would overlook otherwise mm. and so he started to create and amass a collection uh, of books and dust jackets. Now his focus was on anything prior to 1960, but he was especially interested in finding things prior to 1940. And so, and he has some really hard to find books and dust jackets. And this is something that um, he was really working on through the end of his life. The idea of now is to have it put into a catalog form and so that the reference can be used by people in future generations they could see uh, images of um, those dust jackets and then these will be sold hopefully to an individual or institution where that will be preserved forever but he has a couple of good friends that are um, helping with that endeavor right now and have agreed to make that happen for him in his honor so anyway that's part of it and then he has my dad loved books, so he's got uh, a whole section of books about books, history of publishing, um, all the different things, and some of it's reference, some of it's just fun about books. Um, he also had an affinity for leather books, and he, had, he has created quite a large collection of um, Mormon books that were bound in leather, and um, that's part of it. And then at home in his reference library that I was looking at, um, 
my parents some years ago added on and built a, a basement in addition to the upstairs. And he was able to get a whole room there with custom built bookcases that he's filled and double stacked and everything else like you can imagine. Um, and it's just mostly reference there. That was, um, there was a whole section of uh, Bible studies and, and uh, scripture reference kind of stuff. There was a whole section of Western Americana and US or yeah, US history. And then he had his whole Mormon um, reference and biography reference. And those are the ones I was looking at. And I swear, like at least every other book was signed or inscribed to him by the author. So it was wow. a fun legacy. It's something I've toyed with creating a catalog of just to, to show some examples of things. But Wow. So let me ask you, what, what is your one of the favorite or favorites items that you have at benchmark book like what what what, is, what was like your top? I mean, it doesn't have to be one it could be a couple whatever but just yeah, like, i brought a bunch of examples because i didn't know for sure but um let me show just a couple if you have time um Absolutely. this is so part of running a rare bookstore is you just never know what you're going to find and what might come in the door it's always nice to have really fun rare books and i know you've seen a lot of them from other people you've interviewed but you just never quite know in our business what we're going to have one day to the next because we're obviously in business to sell these books and we want to find customers for them but at the same time it's also fun to be able to show them off to people too this is something i actually just sold but it, if you can see the spine there doctrines and covenants yeah. this is a doctrine and covenants this is actually the first edition of the doctrine and covenants so it's published in Kirtland, Ohio in 1835. Wow. Okay. So, this is, so the Book of Commandments was done 1833, not officially published because the press is destroyed. There's only 29 known copies of that. There are a thousand of these produced. This is rebound copy, but um, all the text is original. And these just do not come up. So this is a fun, fascinating piece of history coming out of Kirtland, uh, the, the full revelations of the time of Joseph Smith. Um, and so we have stuff like that that comes through infrequently. And uh, I've actually um, was felt really lucky to be able to sell that for uh, to a customer just recently. Really quick from the Kirtland era, I just want to show a couple of other things that I've got. You've probably seen these before, mm -hmm. but this is a copy of the Kirtland Banking Society note. This is the $5 note. Huh? Uh, so it bears a Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon signature. Depending on who you talk to, most think that most of those signatures are not actually by Joseph Smith. But anyway, um, money that was issued at the time um, and continues to be a historical artifact awesome. now. Awesome. That's kind of fun. Now, also published in Kirtland, Ohio, was this uh, newspaper called the Messenger and Advocate, Latter-day Saint Messenger and Advocate. Uh, this is a single issue of that. It was edited by John Whitmer uh, from 1836. I've never had a single issue of that before. Oh. So that was kind of fun to have. Um, speaking of just things that just walk in the door, uh, I'll show you this. I have, a, have an individual come in and, and say, you know, I have some books here I'd like to return. In addition, I have a few books that 
I got from my dad's library that it's probably junk, probably nothing you're going to want. And in closely examining it, we found uh, this small hymnal. Uh-huh. And um, at the time, it was missing the front cover and had a really beat up rear cover. But we looked closely and see if we can get this in there. Yeah. So this Sacred. is from 1841 in Nauvoo. Okay. This is the second edition of the hymn book selected by Emma Smith. And so I had that uh, repaired and created to be a, a stronger book, but a very, very rare. Uh, uh, I'm curious, how much does it cost to restore, uh, like to give it a new cover? What is the cost in doing something like that? Sure. So this one was uh, about $2,000 to have it created. And part of that was because I was trying, he was doing me a favor to get it done quicker than some. So yeah, I had the new cover and new spine. And as part of that, he re-sewed the, the book itself so it'd be tight and then created the gold on the outside. Most most of the time, it's not quite that expensive, but in today's world, to find someone that can do really good job with restoration or building a book, it's going to be costly because it's really a, an artistic form. So, hmm. um, another quick thing that is another thing that I have the opportunity to try and sell is this is a copy of the Book of Mormon, uh, very nicely bound. This one was published in England. This is the first what they call the first European edition uh, oh, wow. in 1841. Hmm. That. That's another fun little- Is that piece. the original binding? This is, this is one of the original bindings. Yeah, so it's a wow. fancier than normal binding. A lot of them are just very plain, but this one is an original. Huh. And it's only had just some minor repairs done here, but the rest of it is as is. Wow, beautiful. So, uh, we get stuff like that. I've got, um, I don't know if you've talked to anybody in the string organization or those that have come from, but this is uh, actually the um, second edition, expanded edition of the Book of the Law of the Lord, but for so James String's oh. original revelations. Um, unfortunately, it was at the time when they published it, there was no title page. So it's there is a later insert that's been added. But that's a very unusual thing that uh, we recently came across. And um, I also have uh, Holy Scriptures. This is the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. Um, is that put out by the RLDS? Or? Yeah, it's published by the Reorganized Church. This is 1867. Oh, wow. Um, this is not the, the problem. This is not the true first state of it, but it was done in that early period of time. So that's kind of a fun little thing. Um, I don't know how long, how much you want me to go on. I can talk about books forever, but just really <laughs> quick, just a fun. So outside of books, we also do documents. So I have like this is a, a letter signed by Brigham Young. Wow. Uh, from the the Provo Manufacturing Company. Hmm. Wow, that's great. Another handwritten. This is a handwritten letter by Wilford Woodruff, the fourth president of the church in his hand, hmm. initialed by him at the bottom. Um, this is like a minister's certificate that's signed by the first presidency, Joseph F. Smith oh. and others. Wow. Um, speaking of Joseph F., I 
I have to show this is there's a set of books called the Bible in Art, and it's just they're beautifully done uh, from around the turn of the century. It shows just a, a wide variety of uh, art images from the Bible that tell the Bible story in art, basically. Oh, beautiful. But this particular set came with this incredible inscription in the front. Uh, it's from President Joseph F. Smith to one of his wives. Um, on her birthday, and he goes into great personal detail. So that's kind of a fun item that we have at the moment that, yeah. you know, I obviously hope to sell, but it's fun to show off to people, so. Absolutely, wow. Anyway, I feel like we did a, a, a Brent Ashworth, about 10 episodes of Brent Ashworth's show and tell that I air periodically yeah. on Tuesdays. This is great to go uh, throw and just give you a sense, people, you know, this is a remarkable collection, a remarkable bookstore and, and, and a remarkable legacy. Uh, and it's so wonderful that you uh, you have been a part of this for most of your life as well. So you appreciate your father's legacy, and you the the torch has been passed on to you. And you would, we had talked off camera the other day that this past year has been a good year for you guys, which is really good because it's it bodes well for the future of the bookstore. Um, I just wanted to touch base because you know one of the things I find interesting that you guys do is that you have uh, actually uh, on occasion you'll have authors. Uh, come and do uh, readings and talks about their new books that are coming out. Yeah. I know on YouTube, I've watched some of, I've actually watched a, few, a handful of those. Um, I think last year you guys might've been doing, you're the ones that had uh, a Zoom call with Turley yeah, uh, as well. And I participated in that, but now you guys, uh, you're planning on having authors coming back and talking to the bookstore. Maybe just talk, give us an, a preview of what's coming down. Yeah, for sure. Um, just a brief background. So we've done that for quite a few years and had, a wide variety of authors come and speak and we do post those on our website um, which is recently revamped just uh, benchmarkbooks.com um, one book that's been in the in the mormon world recently and this is our one of our most recent um, events we had barry topping here to talk about his short biography of d michael quinn um, just last week we hosted uh author by the name of richard saunders who has written a book about the 1920 edition of the Book Mormon. Um, and his publisher is Greg Coford. Greg uh, brought his own personal books to show his references to that book. So it was kind of fun, you know, show and tell and also hear about all the details that went into the publishing of the Book Mormon at the time. Um, right now, we only have one event scheduled. It's coming up in early May, May 10th. Uh, the guy's name is um, Romney Burke, and his wife is a descendant of a uh, prominent uh, daughter of Brigham Young by the name of Susie Young Gates, and they have, he's written a biography of her. This is published by Signature Books, um, so we've got that coming out. Um, there's some significant books that are coming out later in the year that we would definitely like to have events uh, with the individuals, but they're still a ways off, unfortunately, Steve. Right now in Mormon publishing, it's pretty scarce what's coming out. And so, unfortunately, we often have, you know, five or six things in the hopper, but right now we're waiting until books actually come out. Um, there is a new volume of the Joseph Smith papers due out at the end of this month, roughly. And we very, uh, we've often had events with those authors. Um, there is a book coming from, I mentioned Greg Coford books called The Method Infinite, 
which is um, a deep dive into the influences of masonry and Mormonism in Joseph Smith's lifetime. And we definitely um, have talked to the authors about coming to do an event here at our store. Um, but we've hosted some amazing ones in the past. We've had Mike Quinn here. We've had um, Terrell Gibbons. I mean, it's a wide variety of from all across spectrums. But um, unfortunately, I don't have a ton of, of ones to tell you to watch for uh, at the moment. But we're hoping that um, some of those materialize in the next few months. That's great. So you had mentioned your website. It's www.benchmarkbooks.com. It's newly revamped. You actually have your inventory and books that are available. So because I remember going to your website before and it wasn't like it wasn't very it wasn't yeah. very user friendly. No, I'm so glad sure. to hear. So maybe talk a little bit about the the details of your website and how somebody can take advantage of of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, created by a great organization that is. Uh, done the same for a number of other bookstores and libraries and so it allows for a, a shopping cart where you can purchase and have things mailed to you uh, it allows you to one of the great features i like about it is you can search by category so like say you're in a biography fan or a document fan or whatever it is and you look through what's there now but then there's an option for you to be to receive notifications every time something new pops up in that area so that's one thing that we really like is not only can you join our mailing list but you can also get email notifications about any particular genre that, that when we get new things that come in so the idea behind it is anything that's in our computer system is supposed to be on our website now whether or not we can find it is another story so we do apologize for that inevitability that sometimes we can't place where things are we've had our computer system going for about 20 years the website's only a few months old, so um, some of those things have slipped through the cracks, but um, it, it allows, we do feature a number of uh, imprint books. We post our author interviews there um, as well as, uh, so we're still trying to build, putting pictures of a lot of things that are, are still not there, but essentially it's a fully functioning website, it allows you to search our inventory uh to kind of get a sense of what we are we do an extensive book search for people steve i don't know if that's you know back in the day like before email and internet that was a, a huge part of our business and we in fact have kept card files that go back to the 80s of people that have requested books that are handwritten requests nowadays you can send that in electronically and we'll be happy to search for things if we don't have it in our in our inventory uh, currently but wow well, this is great. You know, I really enjoyed our conversation that we had today. Um, you know, uh, like I said, it was a real honor to meet your father and to make your acquaintance at the Mormon History Association. You guys are going to have a booth at the Mormon History Association this June, and I'm assuming you're going to have a booth at Sunstone in July, correct? Yeah, we will. So just folks, you know, it's these, these events like Sunstone and Mormon History Association. I'm a member of the Mormon History Association. It's open to lay people. Um, I haven't been to Sunstone yet, but I'm definitely planning on getting there this year. Um, and then, of course, you have your location where the people can come. And you're open Monday through Friday. What are your hours? Uh, we're 10 to 6, 
Monday through Friday. Ten to six, Monday through Friday, and uh, and so then check out the website and when next time you're out in Utah, check out the bookstore, especially during the weekdays. Uh, if you say, happen to see him at a conference like MHA, make sure you say hello to Chris. Uh, and uh, maybe you could tell, maybe if you see Chris, maybe you could talk to him about your father, the, how his father's legacy had an effect on you, because I think there's a lot of people who have a lot of stories to tell about Kurt. Um, Chris, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the program. Was there any final words you'd like to share with the audience? Uh, basically, like, you know, I, um, I had a joke that I wanted to tell you because it's sort of the exact epitome of what my dad was. He was off the cuff funny and he could come up with these things. But this was the ultimate, uh, I think, um, epitome of my dad. And it was, we started a band and called it Books so no one could judge us by our covers. And that's the kind of person my dad was. He wasn't about judging by the cover. He wanted to read the book and find out what you had to say and i hope that that we've continued that in in his stead um he was i love hearing about him and i've been very lucky to be in a place where people come in every day and talk about my dad and his legacy and the memories that people had with him i know my siblings and my mom don't have that available to them and so i know that their grief has been more difficult because of it but i love hearing those stories and i hope you'll come in benchmark books and talk about him and uh, the experiences you've had and even if it's just a fleeting moment steve like you had to meet he and shannon flynn together what an amazing experience that probably was it was it was but i appreciate you talking to me and let me be on here and and uh we're grateful to have a viable bookstore and we hope for good things for the future well, this was great. And you said your, 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 your dad did all this kind of stuff before, and you weren't really sure how you do it. Well, I think you did a fantastic job today telling your dad's story, telling your story, and talking about the bookstore. I really appreciate you coming on. Folks, I just want to remind you to uh, make sure you hit uh, like and subscribe and hit the notification button to be informed when a new video arrives. Um, if you want to reach me, it's mormonbookreviews at gmail.com. We are also expanding to more formats on our podcast. So we now have added Audible and one other, in, in addition to all the other major format, podcast formats that we're on. Um, for those of you who wish to financially support the channel, please, uh, I'll leave a link for our Patreon page. You can support us in denominations of $5, 10 to $15 a month. Uh, we have some exclusive content. I'm a little behind on that, but I'm definitely, and I want to thank all my Patreons as well. So either way, uh, once again, dude, so awesome for doing a solid coming onto the program. We've been talking about doing this for months now, and I'm glad we were able to do it. Um, you have yourself, everybody, audience, have yourself a great day and be well. <laughs>